You're listening to the weekly podcast of Hope Community Church, where we desire to see people transformed by the love of Christ. Join us as we study God's Word together. Paul says this, Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. That is what we are celebrating in these weeks. The gift is God himself. But this one who came, often we jump over Christmas and we talk about the gift of Jesus, that he died for us and he rose from the dead and all that is true. But there is so much in the story, in the incarnation, that is about the gift. And so this morning I want to talk about the gift of hope. When I was growing up, the family I grew up in didn't have a lot of means. So I'm not sure how my mom did Christmas every year because it, it looked like we just had money. Because there were just presents. She could get like a dollar out of every dime. She would start in January and she'd find sales and garage sales. And there would just be all these gifts. So every Christmas day, it's great. But almost the same thing happened every year. We would get together in the morning and we'd open these gifts and get to the end and we all had this pile of gifts sitting there and my mom and dad would have maybe one max two gifts and we would say that's not fair like you didn't get any gifts and this is what they would say they would say oh no we don't actually we don't need anything and this is such a gift just to be with you guys. And I would sit there in my little self and say, they're lying. <laughs> but now I'm them. It turns out they weren't lying. You, you get to this place where material and it's all great, but there's stuff that's just way more profound. So if God was going to give us a gift, what would it look like? Well, often when we talk to him, what we ask him for is, is stuff. Would you solve this? Would you do this? And, and he comes in Christ with gifts that are just way deeper than all of that. And the one I want to talk about this morning is hope. Max Dupree says this. The belief that any of us can live without hope and still be healthy is a terrible deception. Sadly, the lack of hope may be the most serious reality in our society today. When we say about somebody that they've lost hope, that's terrible. As I was getting ready for this message this week, preparing, one day this week I was over at Grace Church. I was in meetings and had a little bit of time between my meetings and had some work to do on this. So I went and looked for a quiet place. And the place I found is a little prayer room that they have. It's kind of next to the worship center. And I went in there and sat down and started working. And, and as I was working, the thought came to me, hey, one of the last times I was in this room, I was here for, for a funeral. I was here for a funeral of dear friends of ours who whose little boy they had walked with for a couple years through a, a fatal illness, and now we had gathered on that day to say goodbye. If the hope that we're talking about is not deep enough to go to that place, then it's not actually real hope. If hope 
is just, you know what, I hope this goes out. And then there's an end to that, then it's not really hope. Got word two weeks ago that a church in the northern part of Burkina Faso, the terrorists walked in and brutally killed 14 people. Little children, babies. If the hope that we're talking about is not deep enough to go to that place, then it's, then it's really not hope. So how do you find hope like that? I want to go with you this morning to the book of Matthew. In these weeks, we're, we're looking at the gospel writers and their accounting of the story of the Christ child. And, and this one, the one... I'm, Matthew writes, I think, is about hope. Hope is actually what allows us to keep our bearings in the middle of trouble, in the middle of turbulent seas. It's this conviction that the chaos we're living in in this world will not ultimately win, but God's purposes will overcome. So hope is not actually the absence of difficulty. It's not the absence of suffering, but it's the presence of of someone or something that is not only good, but strong enough to give meaning to our story. I think that's what Matthew is saying in the first chapter of his gospel. When you talk about hope, hope always has a context. It's not just this thing that's out there. It's, it's something that is right in the middle of a story, in the middle of a context, and the, the hope that Matthew is calling his people to is rooted in a story. It's the story, the hope of the promised Messiah. It's a long story. If you read the Bible, it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. God makes a promise. Chapter 12, the promise starts. He calls a man, his name is Abraham, and he asks this man to leave his country and to go to this place that he's never been before. And he says to him, when you go there, I'll show you where it is, and I'm going to give you that place, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your family so nobody will be able to count them, and they'll be a blessing to the whole nation, every nation. Wow, that's a big promise. So... He starts to move, and his neighbor comes to say goodbye. Hey, where are you heading? I'm going to this, this place. Where is it? Well, I'm not really sure. Why are you doing this? Well, God's actually going to make my family really big. Hmm, interesting. Because you're about 90, and you don't have any children. And through my family, he's going to bless the whole world. Brother, you might need to go see a counselor on your way. But he believed, and he went. And at a really old age, God gave him a son. But then he died. He never saw the land, and he never saw the nation. But he believed. And God, God kept his word. And his son had a son, and, and the grandson actually had 12 sons, and, and one of them got sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt, and he went to Egypt, and it turns out it was actually God's plan, and God used him to, to save his whole family in a time of famine, and they all ended up in Egypt, and it was there that this little group of 70 people turned into a million or so. 
Now 400 years later, they've become slaves in Egypt and God sends a man named Moses to lead them out and towards the promised land that he had promised to Abraham. So Moses comes and he leads them out and they're leaving, the Egyptians are standing on the border giving them gifts as they go. It's quite a story. Now they're in the wilderness. God wants to teach them who he is and how to honor him and how to love him. And, and they kind of get it, but they don't really. So they spend 40 years wandering around. Now they're in the promised land. And God keeps his promise to them, and he tells them, if you will be faithful to me, if you'll honor me and love me, I'll, I'll not only keep you in this land, I'll bless you. And he does. And they do for a couple minutes. And then they forget, and they turn their backs on God. And it, if you read the book of Judges, it's just like a merry-go-round. The same thing just keeps happening. They dishonor God. It goes bad for them. They cry out to God. He sends somebody. He helps them. He brings them back, and it just happens over and over again. Kind of the whole Old Testament is like that. So at one point, they decided, you know what we really need is a king. If we just had one of those, this whole thing would right itself. And God said, I'll give you one. I'm just telling you up front, it's going to go bad. But they were convinced. And so God gave them a king. And you know what? It went really bad. It went kind of good for a while. And then if you read the book of Chronicles, it was just one king after another that just did evil and oppressed God's people and so God did exactly what he promised he would do. That if they dishonored him, he would send them out of the land. And he kept his word to them. The Babylonians came and they took him away and Jerusalem was left. Now they're in Babylon. Seems like all hope is gone in the story. But God sends a prophet, Jeremiah, and he says this to his people. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those that were carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So how do you have hope when you're sitting in a foreign land in captivity and you've lost everything? They lost everything. They lost their homes. They lost their country. They lost Jerusalem. They thought that God had abandoned them and the prophet comes and says, no, 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 no. God hasn't abandoned you. He's, he's actually keeping his word to you, his promise. And after 70 years, he's going to bring you back and, he, and then he says, but he, he has a plan for you to give you a hope and a future. Hope is a really powerful thing. When somebody doesn't have it, it's brutal. Paul says this. At the end... The things that impress us so much, like the miracles and the prophecies and this and that, all that stuff is going to go. There's going to be three things left standing. Faith. I'm, I'm waiting for you. Hope and love. Not hope like Hope Church, but hope. That all that stuff is going to end. But hope. 
is more powerful than all of that. It's a really powerful thing. And when somebody is filled with it, there is no end to what God can do. So that's the story. That's the context of the story that Matthew is speaking into. This is a couple centuries later now. Matthew is addressing himself to these same people. Matthew, each gospel is addressed to somebody else. Matthew is addressing himself to the Jews, to the people who are living this story. And I think in chapter 1, what he's talking to them about is hope. Now, if you've read Matthew chapter 1 recently, that might not jump off the page to you. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob... On and on it goes. And the farther you get, the more crazy the names are. And you probably didn't read that and go, oh my goodness, this is so hopeful. You might have not even gotten to the end of the list. You don't know who those people are, most of them. But everybody that Matthew is talking to knew who they were and knew what the story was. It ends in... Verse 22, and he says this, the virgin will conceive and she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. He's not simply talking about God being everywhere, God being omnipresent. He's saying that God, you guys, is right here in the middle of your story. Let's unpack the story. Where's the hope in these words? Well, the first thing in the story, the narrative, is that hope is in the name. What? If you read it, Matthew talks a lot about names. Like, there's a whole list of names. And then he talks about the name of the one who is coming. Um, Puts a lot of importance on it. That doesn't make a lot of sense to us because that's not how we name our children. Usually what we do is we Google it and, hey, what's some cool names? What's um, Hilda? That would be a great name. Or whatever it is that you choose off the list and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, what's your name mean? I didn't know that names had a meaning. But that's not how it was in Hebrew culture. In fact, that's not how it is most places in the world. Where my kids were born in Cote d'Ivoire, when you hear a name... It, it was given to somebody for a reason. So my son's name was Kofi. That was his Bowley name, and it means that you were born on Saturday. So that's, there's lots of Kofis. But then the, the farther you get down the line, the more complicated. My name is Ingesan. Because when you're the third of the same gender in your family, that's your name. My daughter was born Angèle. They came to greet for the birth and then this whole thing, this ceremony, and, and then they tell you this is her Baoli name. Well, her Baoli name is Akelo, which if you translate it literally means, it's like an eight-year gap, and it, it means, what took you so long? Where you been? <laughs> so anybody you meet with that name, you know why they have the name. There's a long distance between them and their older sibling. Two years later, her sister was born, and again they came. What's the right name in this story? Well, for us, we waited a long time for those two. And so 
there's a word in Bali that it means God's grace, but it's like when you've received God's grace and then he extends greater grace, the word is nasi. And, and so that's the name that was given to her. Well, that's how it was in Hebrew culture. Like if you read the Old Testament, often the prophets, God would say, give this child this name. So like the prophet Hosea, his third son had the name lo Ruhama. What does that mean? That means you're no longer God's people. Not a great name. But it was a message to God's people that they had abandoned their God. And so in this story... It's important the names that he talks about. So he said, in Hebrew culture, it was the responsibility of the father to give the name of the child. So you remember when John the Baptist was born, the people came to the temple and they called Zechariah and they said, Zechariah, what's his name? So in, in this story, in verse 21, it says this. As the prophet said, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Who gave Jesus his name? His father. It's really important. His father is God. And God gave him the name Jesus. Why? Because he's going to, what does it mean? It means that he's going to save his people from their sins. It's beautiful. What does that mean? Well, in the story, the, the, the people who read this in the first century got the meaning in the story. What, what are they being saved from? Well, the first thing they're saved from, their sin and their shame. As I said a few minutes ago, if you read down to this list, most of the names, yeah, yeah I've heard that name, but, it doesn't, but they knew the story. So, to a Jew, it's all in the name. Israel was a, a patriarchal society. So the, the name and the, the inheritance passed down through the line of the father. Women were sadly seen more as a possession. So in the list, that's why you see Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. On and on. But if you read the list, there's four names in there that don't fit. They're the names of four women. Why? How'd they get in there? And he didn't just like, Matthew wasn't like, oh yeah, let me mention a few of the moms just to get the little yay for the moms. No, 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 no. These four names were specifically chosen. In, in verse three is the name Tamar. Everybody knew the name. Everybody knew the story. What, what, what was the story? Well, Tamar was married to the son of Jacob. And that son wasn't able to have children. And, and he was an evil man. And his life was taken. So in, in that culture, it was now the duty of the next youngest son to take the wife so that there would be children for his older brother to honor his name. The brother took the wife, but he dishonored God, and his life was taken. There's no children. But there is a third son. But the father says, Judah says to, to Tamar, the boy's young, wait till he grows up, and, and I'll give him to you. 
but he was lying. He was deceiving Tamar, and, and she figured it out. And so she set up a, a thing to a snare, and she does end up having a child, but it's with her father-in-law. Terrible shame. Tamar bore the shame, but it wasn't hers. It was Judah's. She is in the family of Jesus. The next that is mentioned is Rahab in verse 5. Rahab was not a Jew. She was in Jericho. She was the one that saved the spies that were sent. It says that she's a prostitute. I think it says that to know where the spies went. They went to the house of a prostitute. Now, you can make that sound really rosy, like, oh, I don't know how that happened. I, I know exactly how it happened. They went to the house of a prostitute. They're the good guys. But God has mercy on this woman. And she becomes a mother in the family of Jesus. The next that's mentioned is Ruth. She was not a Jew. The last one in verse 6 that's mentioned It doesn't mention her name. It calls her the wife of Uriah. Why doesn't it just say her name? Because that's not what's important in the story. She was the wife of somebody else. And David wrongfully took her. In our day, that's what is called abuse. It's terrible shame. So so why are these names in this list? I think there's a couple reasons. One is that a good number of them aren't Jews. And he wanted to say that Matthew wrote this to Jewish people to understand who is this one that was sent. That he was sent from God. He's the Messiah. But he didn't just come for the Jews. He came for everybody. Everybody has a place in this family. But he also came to meet us in the place just the most painful and shameful places he came. And there isn't one deeper than that. Beautiful. He came to save us. Second thing he came to save us from is from our own unfaithfulness. If you read the list, at the end of the list, it's set up. It highlights three chapters in the story. If you read the list, there's 14 names from Abraham to David, and then 14 from David until the people went into captivity, and then 14 from the captivity until the birth of Jesus. Why does he highlight these three chapters? Well, that was the story. So God makes this promise to Abraham, and he he says to his people that if you will love me and you will obey my laws, I will be your God, you will be my people. They didn't. They were unfaithful through Moses, through the wilderness. And now they want a king. Well, God sends a king. And David was the good one. But after that, it went south. It just was ugly. And they were idolaters and turned on God. And the third chapter of the story is they went into captivity. They went to Babylon. It's beautiful because ultimately it's God keeping his promise to them that if they don't honor him, this is what's going to happen. In Psalm 137, they're in Babylon, and the Babylonians are saying, hey, would you guys sing some of those songs you used to sing when you... 
And they said, how can we sing the songs of God in a foreign land? It's not a pretty chapter. Why does he include all these chapters? Well, the theme in all the chapters is the faithfulness of God and the unfaithfulness of his people. Now for 400 years, there's been silence. Between Malachi and Matthew, God stopped speaking. But now he speaks, and he speaks by sending his son. His name will be Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Any sin in the story? Yeah, it's mostly about sin and failure. Isn't that beautiful? He could have left all this stuff out of the story. Why does Matthew put it all in there? To remind us, actually their story looks quite a bit like ours. And it doesn't surprise God at all. That's why he came. He came into the middle of our shame. He came into the middle of our sin. He came into the middle of our unfaithfulness. And he calls us to himself. Their inability to please and honor God, it's just written all over the page. Lastly, hope is in the name. Hope is also in the promise. If God doesn't keep his promises, dear brothers and sisters, all hope is gone. But he does. And that's what, that's what Matthew is saying to them. In this story, uh, there's two names that are underlined, Abraham and David. Why those two? was because God made a promise to Abraham and God made a promise to David. And they all knew it and they knew what the promises were. So he's reminding them. He made a promise to Abraham that he was going to bless Abraham, that he was going to give him this land and he was going to make his family a blessing to all the nations. Guess what? He did it. If you're sitting here today, it's because through the family of Abraham, a savior has come and you're here. He did it. He kept his word to Abraham. The second person in the, in the story is David. Again, God made a promise to David. What was the promise? He said that David was going to be the king. And on David's throne, there would always be an, a king eternally. Matthew underlines the fact that Jesus came in the line of David. And he cites 14 names that go from David until they got chased out of the land. We see the names, but the Jews understood the story. So God makes this promise to, uh, to David. There will always be somebody sitting on your throne. He lists all these names. There's a couple that aren't on the list, but they all knew the story. One happened during the reign of King Ahaziah. He had a mother whose name was Athaliah, and she was not a good lady. She was actually quite wicked. And when her son died, she usurped the throne. And then she decided, I'm going to kill all the descendants of David. Because then nobody can take the throne. And you know what? She did it. She wasn't a good lady. What she didn't know was that a man by the name of Jehoshaphat snuck away one of the sons of Ahaziah, who was just a little baby, and hid him in a room in the temple. 
And he grew up in secret under the tutelage of Jehoiada, the priest. When he was seven years old, out on the terrace of the, the temple, they planned this big thing. They brought out Joash and they crowned him the king. And the throne was given back to the family of David. Even if you try to kill the promise of God, you can't do it. It always accomplishes itself. So in the story, he's reminding them that God was faithful to Abraham. He was faithful to David. He is always faithful. The last thing in this story is the presence of God. I can say to you this morning, you know what? There's nothing that's beyond hope. I mean, that's what Jesus' name is. He, he came to save us. And he always keeps his word. He, he's promised to forgive us. He's promised to live with him eternally. And he, but what about like right now, today? <laughs> what is there to give me hope right now? Well, listen to verse 22. He says, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. That's the name. Who gave Jesus that name? It wasn't God this time. It was they. They gave it to him. Who are they? Well, they're all the people that had walked with Jesus. Matthew is one of them. And they knew God was with them because they walked with Jesus. And now the Holy Spirit had come. And they said, this is Emmanuel. God with us. Loved hearing Rebecca's story this morning. You can know lots about God. You can believe it. You can put your hope in it. It is true. But something happens when you realize this is personal. He, he actually spoke to me. He, he is with me. That's not going to happen to you in the same way that happened to Rebecca. The beautiful thing is he comes to all of us in ways that make sense to us. But, but the writer Matthew is saying to them, his name is Emmanuel. He is with us. So, the story that Matthew tells is a story of hope. We have hope because God is faithful, because he came to be among us. But he didn't come to kind of vaguely be here. He actually came to be right in the middle of the story and to walk with us right to the end. So, we celebrate Christmas this year, there may be a place in your story where you've thrown up the white flag. You just lost hope. Matthew reminds us this morning that the one who came, his name is Jesus. Because he came to meet us in, in those places, the really broken places. He's not afraid of. He's not even surprised. He comes to meet us in those places. And, and his promises are yes 
an amen. You know how wide the love of Jesus is? You don't. You can't. It's really wide. It's, it's endless. And lastly, he says that he's come to be present with us. So as you journey towards Christmas, may the hope of the one who came dig roots even deeper into your soul. So this is what we're going to do to close this morning. The words that I read to you from Jeremiah just a few minutes ago, he says that, that, that he has for us a hope in a future. How do we respond to that? He says this, you will call on me and pray, and I'll listen to you. You'll seek me. And then he says, I will be found by you when you seek me with your whole heart. I, I got nothing for you. I, me, Joel, I got nothing. But I can lead you to somebody who has an everlasting hope. We're going to close this morning. I invite the team to come and sing a song that we know about this living hope. And I, I just ask you to sing it as a prayer. Afterwards, if you just need somebody to pray for you, there's a place where hope is wavering. Going to counsel you, just want to pray for you. So be here up front. Uh, love to pray with any of you, some of the elders that are here. Uh, if you just need to pray with somebody this morning, I just need to know his hope in a new way this morning. Stand with us, let me pray for us, and then we'll sing together. Father, thank you that when you ask us to hope, it's not a vain hope. It's a hope that is rooted deeply in your person, that you have come to give us yourself. And in the middle of all the storms, in the middle of all the craziness, you're our living hope. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that God will use this message to draw you deeper into a meaningful relationship with Him. Hope Community Church is located in Olmstead Falls, Ohio. If you would like to find out more about our church, please visit us at hopeolmstead.org.